Today, totally football schadenfreude as Ajax wipe the floor and the Spanish vanish and Man United make PSG les miserables. We look at Real's Gotterdammerung, their Amsterdammerung hammering, hear from Happy Dutchman and marvel again at Man United, too cool for Tuchel, handing the French leaders the worst exit in their own capital since Robespierre. All that, plus the weekend, Arsenal, Man U and much more in this totally football show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Hello, Mike Hawthorne, who says, AC Jimbo, please tell me he's on today. Well, a little bit later on, Mike, a little bit later on. <laughs> From the meanwhile, please enjoy the assembled international expertise of uh, Natalie Jedra from ESPN Brazil. Nice, thank you. Mm. Bon dia to you, Natalie. Bon dia. How do you do, James Horncastle? Howdy. Of ESPN local, uh-huh. local office. And Yakidar Tom Williams from a collection of broadcasting entities and authordom with your fabulous book, Do You Speak Football? Thank you, James. Mm. Oh, my listener, what a, what a midweek. Man United, Ajax and Porto pulling off comebacks. PSG, Roma and Real Madrid currently taking a long, hard look at themselves. What was your favourite bit of the midweek, Natalie? Uh, Soskayer, the character of the season. Okay. It's amazing. It's amazing. The the charisma, the picture with Cantona and Alex Ferguson <laughs> was great. Tom, a, a moment that uh, captured the week. And we're going to go Dusan Tadic striding mm. through the Real Madrid defence at the Bernabeu. That fantastic roulette yeah. uh, en route to setting up uh, David Neres for the goal that set Ajax up for that incredible win against Real Madrid. Right. And, and just Tadic's performance in general, I think. Yeah, I love what he said after that as well. He's like, I watched a lot of Zidane as a kid, maybe too much. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what stood out for you, James? What will you treasure? Well, I think one of the big things... Um, about Ajax's legend, uh, myth, if you like, is um, the courage to take risks and to you know, just use exquisite pieces of skill no matter where you are. Um, and in addition to that Tadic roulette, the, I think it was m- maybe before that, um, Frankie de Jong, where he smashes into Vinicius Junior and then left foot, right foot, puts Modric on his backside. And there was an incredible photo of that where he's sort of going off into the distance, you just see Modric on his bum, just like, ah, oh, the current Ballon d'Or winner, floored by a future Barcelona player. Mm. Lots so, of listeners yeah. writing in with, with their favourite bits, and, and most of them seem to involve Neymar standing in the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is waiting, <laughs> waiting to come on and, and sing a different corner or something. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, we should probably start our attempts to kind of put the, the midweek into perspective in Paris. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. C'est terminé. Le Paris Saint-Germain est éliminé pour la troisième année consécutive en huitième de finale de la Ligue des Champions. Manchester a réalisé le comeback. Manchester s'impose sur la Wednesday night, it was to borrow Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's catchphrase, so Man United. It was also so PSG. Uh, it'll go down as one of the great performances from United, but how much sense did it actually make? Can you, can you make any logic out of that game, that performance, that result? I thought it made very little sense and I've been thinking about it all morning and it still makes very little sense. Um, I think it was a fantastic result for United. I think in the circumstances, uh, an incredible achievement given that they were missing 10 first-team players. They ended the match with Mason Greenwood, 17-year-old debutant, Dai Chong, 19 years old, Diego Dallon, 19 years old. I mean, amazing 
back-to-the-wall effort. But at the same time, PSG, it's such a curious performance and, and so many things in that performance that you couldn't legislate for. I mean, I, I generally felt they, they had the tie in their control for most of it, but then you can't legislate for Tilo Kera playing a blind back pass straight to Romelu Lukaku inside the first two minutes. For Gianluigi Buffon, committing one of the worst mistakes of his entire career with that shot from Rashford. Yeah, and, and just before inc- kickoff, it was like, Gigi Buffon will be signing a new one-year contract yeah, with an yeah. option of another at PSG. And then that, that incredible scenario at the end with the penalty and the VAR review. Um, and, I mean, yeah, clearly you know, PSG have completely bottled it once again. But I think if you actually look at the match and that the, the physiognomy of the game and the way it unfolded... Um, I, I didn't think they played that badly. I think they were generally in command, but they, the, the mistake they made, the fatal mistake they made, was they never went for the jugular. Right. Um, you know, Cavani stayed on the bench until the 95th minute, um, by which point, you know, the tyres already be on them. Um, but yeah, very, very hard to, to make sense of it. And, and credit to United, and credit to Oli Solskjaer, who right. you listen to what he said in the pre-match press conference, and a lot of it sounded like the sort of thing you'd expect a manager to say in those circumstances. Well, we'll keep it tight. Maybe we'll get an early goal. We can still be in it with half an hour to go. There's a chance. And it's exactly what happened. And, yeah, and credit to him for just, that. Just, I mean, he, he had a fantastic performance. I think everyone was uh, overwhelmed uh, with the, with his changes, the way that he managed what was an incredibly difficult situation. What do they have? Uh, Ten youth players travelling with? them mm. yeah because i think in game he changed uh the flow of this one because um psg kept getting in on the right hand side of uh, united's defense eric Bailly was playing there he's a center back he didn't look entirely comfortable there's some suggestion he came off injured but by putting diego dalot there who's a natural fullback um gave them something a little bit different and he was able to push forward get out at times um and i wouldn't say that PSG stopped getting in on that side with Bernat and Di Maria, but certainly less frequently than they did in the first half. And this was someone who, along with Fred, who also started in this game, was sidelined by Jose Mourinho, the two signings that they made in the summer. So again, I think that's something that Solskjaer can go to the board and say, look, I'm making good on these two two investments that you've made. And um, just about uh, United's defending in general, as as Natalie said, I think um, they defended really well because they, instead of, say, um, going out and stepping out to meet Mbappe and say um, drawing fouls they backed off and what happened to Mbappe a few times in this game was he was either too quick for the ball or he got trapped under his feet and he fell over and uh, I think it ended up working really well well for United Um, and De Gea didn't have too many saves to make I think the big regret for PSG was that they didn't maybe win three or four nil um, at Old Trafford um, because Mbappe had a really good chance in that game which he tried to be too clever with I think dinking it, tried to dink it over David De Gea and De Gea was kind of like well what's that and just batted it away and I think that's one of the things they'll maybe look look back on and think mm, we should have done that differently mm. for then, as, as 2017 demonstrated even for PSG a 4-0 <laughs> first leg lead is not enough to spare you from Champions League humiliation well they were going to go through with this one until the very last minute when uh, Diego Dalot's shot hits uh, Kimpembe and after a little bit of confusion they review where it hit Kimpembe and it's his hand, and then the penalty, Marcus Rashford, Natalie. That's the first penalty he's ever taken for Man United. And he wasn't brilliant during the match. He, 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 it wasn't his best performance, but when you needed the guy to, to score the, 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 the decisive penalty, he showed a lot of character. Yeah. The, the, the way that, that he, he did that goal, it, it was incredible. And the VAR... You're not a fan? No, I agree. 
I agree with. I, I, I think there is a discussion. Thomas Tuchel, uh, he mentioned that uh, the shot wasn't going on target. So I think that is the discussion. About because, whether it should be handball. Yes, exactly. Because his argument is it, it wasn't heading to the goal. Hmm. So it was it was going uh uh, it wasn't Neymar ha- also made an argument. I yes. don't know if you saw. Quite an <laughs> yes, I, I was just waiting for, for you to get there. <laughs> right. But, you know, I mean, the guy was upset. And I'm sure we can all sympathise. Um, uh, but, but, but Marcus Rashford, who's never taken a penalty for Man United, and he's given that one to put them through to the next round of the Champions League... But he has to wait for that, what, several minutes of VAR. to replace yes. it as well, because the, the referee kept saying, mm, I think that's right on the sort of tip of the uh, of the penalty spot. It couldn't have been a worse build-up for him. And then Bernat comes over as he's sort of spotting the ball to try and put him off, and there's a little bit of Yeah, bit and of you've chat. got Villati doing his usual Villati kind of, <laughs> kind of thing going on. And I, I, have you seen that wonderful video that I think it's done by UEFA, of Rashford and, and and his friend Lingard discussing in a very metaphysical way playing for Man United. Have you seen that, yeah, Tom? I saw that. Yeah, it's Where Lingard's essentially saying, "How do we know it's us? How do we but know do we that know? we play yeah. for Man United?" <laughs> <laughs> what, what we do, but, but Lingard's reaction equally. There's a video of Lingard's reaction yeah. when the, yeah. the goal goes in, and it's fabulous. Yeah! Okay, uh, somebody else's reaction wasn't quite as euphoric as that. Julien Laurent now joins us on the line from, ironically, Manchester. Jules, are you there? I am there, Jimbo, I am there, yeah. I thought after what they did to me and my team last night, I uh, owed them a visit. Right. I can't believe it's happened again, Jules. Do you know what? I thought I'd gone through everything with that club as a kid, as a teenager, as, a, as an adult, and as a dad, as a husband, anything you want. And yet they still did worse than ev- anything that I'd seen before or that I experienced before because I think last night was worse than, than two years ago and the, the remontada. I think this is even worse because it's at home, because there was no Messi or Suarez or any of those kind of players in the opposition's team. And, and it was a game that PSG gave away, really, gifted away to United. I don't think United won that game. I think PSG lost it. What's the reaction been this morning in Paris? Well, it's, been, it's been terrible. I think, you, you know, we, we looked at why it happened again. You know, the weakness mentally of, of some of the players, for sure. The lack of leadership on the pitch. That is nothing new. We, we knew before. Um, but yeah, he's still there. When you when you sign someone like Gigi Buffon, it's for him to help you, and instead he did anything but helping. You know, he cost us the the game yesterday, really. Um, so all those issues should Thomas Tuchel have done better yesterday, for sure. I thought he was too much of a passenger in the last half an hour of the game. Kylian Mbappe on Saturday said that he was ready uh, for more responsibilities that he could take this team forward. Where he failed last night, he had he had the chance to make it 2-2 with, what, 10 minutes to go and he and he missed it completely. And, yeah, and all those reasons made Jules. that it was another failure. Mm. After the Barcelona game, they went out and splashed big cash on the likes of Mbappe and Neymar. What do they do this time? I think they keep Thomas Tuchel. That's the, that's the brief that I got last night and this morning again, that I, uh, they need a bit of stability on that, on that level, that they still think he's a very good manager, that you know, last night would be really hard to, to get over. And, and, and also for him you know, as well, because I think he made mistakes and he will, he will hopefully learn from them. But I think they want to keep him 
they don't have the money to spend. The money they spent on, on Neymar and Mbappe that summer is not there anymore. They can't do that with financial fair play. But it's an unbalanced team, like like a lot of other big teams. But it's, it is an unbalanced team and they will have to let some players go and recruit some others. That number six that Thomas Tuchel has been asking for eight months now is still not there. So they, they, they have issues to address, but it's a huge blow. It's a huge blow for them, you know, to cope with once again and to get over once again two years after the Barcelona failure. Julian Aron. Well, it was the 107th attempt of a team to progress in the knockout stage when losing a home leg by two goals to nil. And I think rarely will anyone have, have tried such a thing with such a threadbare squad. So a massive salute to Man United who go through to the Thinks Very Hard quarterfinals. The draw, Indeed, which James. will be on Friday week. Friday week. Also through to the quarterfinals, Ajax. We're talking about them next. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Tuesday, game of the season, I'm going to call it, when Ajax went to the Bernabeu to take on Real Madrid, needing to turn around a 2-1 scoreline from Amsterdam. And they got that. And they got more. Much more. What a thrilling match. I mean, obviously, if you're a Real Madrid fan, not so much. But for literally the entire rest of the planet, uh, this was just so much fun to watch. Huge fun to watch. Uh, a spectacle only enhanced by the fact that Sergio Ramos was watching it from an executive box, having been deliberately booked in the first leg as he thought the tie was over. And then we discover after the match that he was filming a documentary. Yeah. So not only did we have those, not only do we have those snatches of, of him reacting during the game, but presumably at some point, unless it all ends up on the cutting room floor, we'll be able to see him sitting through that uh, and right. thinking about what he's but done. Ramos filming a documentary. Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> but, but Tom, I think that the incredible thing about Ramos's, uh, let's say, decision to, to miss this game uh, is that a year ago in the quarterfinals, he did exactly the same um, against Juventus when Madrid had beaten them 3-0 in, in Turin. And what happened? Juventus essentially were 3-0 up going into stoppage time at the Bernabeu. Um, and only a Ronaldo penalty sees yeah. them through. So, I mean, knowing that a year in, with Real Madrid in crisis, um, yeah, and he was their best player in Amsterdam, without a doubt. Well, he's the player who always digs them out of trouble in matches like this Yeah, when they're in trouble, and uh, they were in so much trouble. We mentioned Tadic's wonderful spin and, and goal earlier on. That The moment when uh, they win a free kick, Real Madrid pull one back and you think, oh my God, they've got 20 minutes to get two goals. And then Ajax win a free kick and you think, oh good, waste a bit of time here. And all of a sudden, Lassie Shunner steps up and sticks that one in. That was just extraordinary. Yeah, and after the match, I had a look at the Madrid's newspapers because it's, it's always... I'm not going to say entertaining because it sounds a little insensitive. It's but ent it, It's entertaining. Yes, it is. The, the Madrid press and, and it's very entertaining. So uh, basically they they discussed a lot the Solari's decision in leaving Marcelo on the bench and not getting Isco involved. So that was a big question mark because there's a part of the fans that think that they aren't, uh, that their time in Madrid is done. 
and there there are parts who think that uh, they should be involved in that match. And the, another thing, Florentino of Paris was heavily criticized because of a lack of project. I thought it was interesting. Lack of project this season after Cristiano Ronaldo leaving. So that was very discussed. Uh, that Madrid doesn't have uh, a plan. They just expected uh, Cristiano Ronaldo to leave and that they would figure out things by themselves. I also remember when they sacked Lopetegui. Uh, one of the things that they put in the statement uh, announcing that decision was we have eight players who are shortlisted for the Ballon d'Or. You know, this team is, is much better than it is performing. But I think I completely agree with you, Natalie, that this, this uh, team doesn't have a project has been allowed to drift um, for, for too long and they, they haven't changed when they needed to. We'll hear from Alvaro Romeo very shortly of TalkSport International on the reaction in Spain. First though, let's get the word from Amsterdam after one of the all-time great Ajax European performances. Michael, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, very well. Describe for us if you would... Thanks for joining us, first of all, but describe, describe for us, if you would, the scenes in Amsterdam on Tuesday night. Uh, disbelief, probably the, the, the big one. Uh, nobody really expected Ajax to beat Real Madrid, although in the first leg they felt that they were the better team. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this defied all the odds. And the, the Jose Mourinho, before the game, said he, he was uh, giving Ajax 1% chance going through. Uh, Ronald Koeman, the uh, <clears throat> national team coach, said, well, there's no way Ajax will push Real Madrid aside. And I mean, the uh, there was an atmosphere of optimism within the city that they could at least do themselves proud the last time. But yeah, this, this was um, really something else. Although, I mean, this is a Real Madrid side who've been threatening this kind of performance for a while. They lost at home 3-0 to CSK Moscow in the group stages earlier on in this campaign. But in terms of Ajax, I think not just the result, but the way they played at the Bernabeu was fantastic. Is there a team playing better football right now in the Champions League? Well, uh, that's a good question. I mean, it is It is not just... Um... Yeah, it's it's not just the Dutch team doing really well. It's Ajax that have been building for this for years, and uh, they've been quite um, well, quite loose with 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 spending money compared to the years before by spending uh, a good money on players like this on Tadic and Daily Blind that they, they don't really expect to sell on. But you can see the effect of having such players in the side, and there's such a good chemistry going on within the team, and they do have genuine world-class talent in every uh, area of the pitch uh, at the moment, which is a big, big uh, difference compared to uh, the years before. And yeah, I mean, when you look at the Champions League at the moment, you, you wouldn't say that Ajax is the is the smallest team out there or the, the least talented team out there. They do genuinely, I think, have a chance of going through to the quarters if the if the draw is a bit lenient. Yeah, we'll, we'll see on, on Friday week. This Tuzan Tadic, is he in any way related to the, the, the Tadic who was at Southampton a season or two ago? Well, it, it almost looks like uh, they swapped his brother for him, didn't they? No, it's it's it's. I think from. I mean, I've seen this entire playing the Eredivisie in 2010 for Froningen, and then move on to Twente. And he was a really good player back then, who was most comfortable in a team that was was trying to build attacks, uh, lots of runners, lots of movement around him because he really relishes that kind of role. And I think when you saw him at Southampton, you always felt, well, this is not really the type of team. Uh, that that brings out the best in Dusan Tadic, but the performance he, he showed on on Tuesday was really something else. I don't think I've ever seen him play that well. He himself said this was the best game uh, in my life, and 
I mean, this entire kind of symbolizes the thing that Ajax is doing at the moment. They they don't really need to have a player with resale value in every position because they already have such world-class talents as Frenkie de Jong and Matthijs de Ligt who will likely bring in close to 200 million euros in total. So they have the, the extra space to... Uh, to invest in in players that will make the team better, and I think that's quite unique. And they've finally um, done that as well. And Daily Blind is another example. I think he cost 18 million euros. The chances of Daily Blind staying there or going uh, to another club for a lower lower price than what they bought, what they bought him for is quite realistic. But it doesn't really matter because Daily Blind will maybe um, be sold at, at a loss, but Matthijs Lift will probably. Will earn them around 90 million million euros. Mikhail Jongsma there from Up to Johan and Benefoot.net on the subject of Tadic. Mattia Fontana saying, if you think Tadic did something amazing, you've maybe forgotten. Oh, sorry, I'm translating this. You maybe forgotten that for two years in a row he managed to get Graziano Pele into double <laughs> figures in the, in the Premier League. <laughs> Jack Lang also tweeting in. Getting funny. He says, be so great if Daily Blind could emulate his dad's European Cup success. It'd be a case of D Blind following D Blind. <laughs> <laughs> that was P Clang. Lovely bit of Lang. <laughs> uh, that whole thing about Ajax and the youth model, Tom, you just so happened you wrote an article about this this week and how it's not strictly a crazy bunch of Dutch kids springing surprises. Yeah, I mean, the tendency when we think about Ajax is to focus on the kids who come through the academy, uh, like Matthias de Ligt uh, and Frankie de Jong, even if Frankie de Jong actually came from Willem II. Um, but when I was speaking to people who watch Ajax regularly, they were saying the difference this season has been guys like Tadic, Daily Blind, uh, Nicola Tagliafico. Because uh, if we think back a couple of years, you had that extremely young Ajax team that reached the Europa League final um, in 2017. I think they had an average age of under 23. Lost to Manchester United in the following season the expectation was that they would kick on and they didn't um, and so last summer uh, they made some pretty shrewd moves um, I mean you know you look at the money they spent on Tadic and Blint and for most big European teams it was loose change for Ajax there were significant amounts of money they had to rejig their wage structure to bring those players in um, and the consequence has been that you now have this blender Ajax of very exciting young players um, but there's also a bit of steel there uh, and a bit of experience um, and I mean you look at the season that Ajax are having domestically they are on course for their, their most prolific season in terms of goal scoring since something like 1986 um, and they're not top of the Eredivisie but they're, you know, they're, they've produced some absolutely incredible results um, and yeah it, I don't think anyone saw this result against Real Madrid coming but you looked at the way that they played in that first leg Ajax and they James were so impressive James did, did James call it? Yeah and bizarrely James I actually thought they played better in the first leg, really? Yeah, I, I, I think I think Madrid were not as bad uh, in in the second leg at the Bernabeu. They had chances. Remember, Varane hit the bar. Mm. He had a, he had a volley from close range shortly afterwards. Bale hit the post. Mm. You had that kind of Modric Benzema mix up at the end. But the individual brilliance, the confidence to 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 go for it at the Bernabeu, I think, you know, will make this the more memorable um, game. And remember, they're in the quarterfinals for the first time since ninety six ninety seven. Extraordinary. Um, to do this on that stage with the context of you know, how few teams have come back from losing the first leg at home, only seven teams, three of which are Ajax. 
Right, or, or one, one of which is Ajax. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah essentially. You know, I mean, there are three different Ajax teams, right? James, no, that's fair, know, in terms of vintage. <laughs> okay, but Br- in terms of this mix that that was mentioned, it's always nice to see these uh, young players stepping up, especially considering the national teams, because there's a lo- there's always this expectation of uh, how how they're gonna turn up now after not qualifying for the World Cup. So this is very inspiring. And, and as a football fan, I always find it exciting whenever uh, the Dutch team or you have Dutch players that show these skills and, and this talent. So it was very interesting uh, considering this uh, this point of view because they are young players and they really stepped up in in a very important moment. It was a it was a great week for teams living up to you know their their, their stereotypes. Man United late comeback in Europe, yes. Dutch players doing fancy things. For Real Madrid, meanwhile, they lost to Barcelona last Wednesday. Barcelona again on Saturday blew the Champions League on Tuesday. And now got the next three months off. It's the worst Craig David tribute ever. <laughs> Tom, <laughs> but to get the reaction to their collapse at the Bernabeu, let's now hear from our Spanish correspondent, Alvaro Romeo of Talksport International. Well, uh, there was uh, a very, very negative reaction to Real Madrid's uh, elimination from Champions League because at the end of the day, Real Madrid has been reaching the Champions League semi-finals for seven years in a row since 2011. So this time, uh, having fallen in the last 16 of the competition, was always going to be a fiasco, even more so uh, because Real Madrid has lost uh, effectively uh, the possibility of winning three titles over the last six days and always at home, always at Santiago Bernabéu, which it is pretty unprecedented, really. So according to reports, uh, there was a two-hours emergency meeting taking place at Santiago Bernabéu between the president and his closest uh, group of people. Uh, Solari was never summoned to the meeting. He was never invited. Mm, the question is whether Solari will continue being Real Madrid manager until the end of the season or not. But next season, he will not be Real Madrid manager. And uh, there are few options for Real Madrid, one of them being Jose Manuel Díaz, which is the Real Madrid-Castilla manager. Uh, that could be temporary and very inconvenient for a Castilla that is trying to gain promotion to the Spanish second division. And the other name now is Jose Mourinho. Uh, there are some problems with Mourinho, obviously, because he, he got a, a bit of a spat with few players that still remain in the squad, the likes of Marcelo, the likes of Benzema and the likes of Sergio Ramos. But uh, at the minute, Spanish media are talking about Mourinho mainly. The league is well and truly gone for Real. Of course, they're 12 points behind Barcelona. But are there fears that they may not even make the top four this season? I don't think that Real Madrid uh, will miss out uh, from the fourth spot next season, uh, particularly uh, for the quality of the chasers, uh, the likes of Alaves, the likes of Getafe. Uh, they are candidates to qualify for Europa League. Well, Getafe is fourth at the minute. Yeah, that's true. But I don't think that uh, they will chase Real Madrid. I don't think that they are going to be chasers for Real Madrid. Clinching the fourth spot shouldn't be a problem for Real Madrid. Wow, so all sorts of uh, dramatic developments in store for Real Madrid. Uh, And amongst the many really glum bits of news for them on Tuesday was the injury to Vinicius. There was a lot of commotion uh, regarding this because he's very young and he's been uh, really stepping up uh, during the season. He's very talented. He's charismatic. He's a very simple guy and he's he he just earned his first cap for the national team. He was he got called up for the the friendly matches now in March and he's not going to make it because uh, obviously he's injured and he 
is a huge center of attention in Madrid now. He represents this uh, skillful, fresh air that people uh, might be expecting from Madrid. Uh, and and Brazilians really like him. He was very popular in Brazil. He played for Flamengo. And uh, as I said, he's a very humble guy. So it's he's easily likable. Okay. And it's and it's it's really a shame what happened about uh, his injury. He's probably not going to play during uh, the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I think I'm right in saying that he's been kind of Real Madrid's best player. Yeah. Of yes. Madrid, Since yes. Solari um, put him in the team. And uh, I think the move in which he got injured really showcased why people are so excited about him because yeah. lightning quick um, counter-attack um, and they what, hit the side netting uh, from there. But yeah, imagine getting injured and you know, you've just made it at this huge club where it's not easy um, for, for young players to make a name for themselves. No shirt weighs heavier um, than, than Real Madrid's. Um, and you know, you're gonna... Macron ones, they were pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> and James, you're going to come back and maybe if Jose Mourinho's your manager, I mean, being a young player, oh. you know, I mean, it's it might be, you know, Vinicius might be the Brazilian Rashford, um, you know, yeah. finding himself. You, you look at the players who Madrid are being linked with, mm. Neymar, Hazard, they're all left sided attackers. Yeah. So they're all, you know, they're all players who will play in exactly Vinicius's position. So, yeah, mm. tough break. Oh dear. Amidst all of that, Spurs went through. Or was it 1-0 in the end? Well, and you know what? The, the great thing about this result, I didn't see this game, but judging it on what happened on Tuesday and Wednesday night, Spurs were the only team that won their first leg that then didn't lose their second leg. Um, they were able to manage a result in a Champions League a competition that over the last few years we've seen teams get into the position Spurs did in the first leg at Wembley and then not be able to hold on to it. Right. Um, and, yeah, credit to them. At Dortmund. Yeah, at, at Dortmund. Dortmund, which is a very tough ground, and you you have to give credit for Spurs because uh, they needed to defend, and sometimes it's kind of frustrating to see Spurs defending so much because uh, they play football. That's that's why uh, that's what we see uh, most of the times. They they play attacking football, and they showed uh, efficiency when they were required to to defend really well. Vertonghen is one of the best players of this uh, Champions League campaign so far. And I mean the whole the whole Champions League campaign. It's incredible uh, how how he's been playing. I think it showed a lot of. Uh, they were very mature. You always expect uh, somehow that Spurs will crack. You know they they will. Uh, Has that reached Brazil as well? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Brazilians who follow the Premier League, right. yes, yes. But now you see the team really stepping up. And credit to them, credit to them too for 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 new against yeah. Dortmund, uh, one of the best teams in Europe. Leaders. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Anyway, so so well done, Spurs. Um, and Porto beat Roma. My word, this was late. So uh, it was 2-1 in the first leg to Roma, and then Porto made it 2-1. Porto, of course, managed by former Lazio man, mm. Sergio Conceição, made it 2-1. And then in the 117th minute, there was a VAR appeal for a penalty for Porto. And this was the Italian commentators waiting for the decision to be announced. Shakira, VAR. No! It's an error! It's an error! It's an error! Rough week for Roma, James. Rough week. Very rough, James. Yeah. Yeah. Greenland and the derby, and then this. 
Tom, you don't want to leave Roma without a chat about Dzeko. I think it would be remiss not to mention the uh, tete-a-tete that occurred between Pepe and uh, Edin Dzeko, mm. which culminated in Pepe flinging some choice English swear words uh, in Dzeko's face and Dzeko going down as if he had actually been hit in the face. Yeah. Two very calm players. Yeah. You said remiss. I mean, it was the two Dzeko misses in extra time, which were mm-hmm. as costly for Roma as mm. Florenzi's kind of pull-on. Right. Fernando. Time for Dzeko to hide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or something like that. Anyway, uh, more Champions League listener next week. Uh, but there's Premier League coming up in a couple of days' time. We'll talk about what kind of Premier League after this. Hi, I'm Rodri Giggs. You probably know me for being related to a famous sports star. That's right, my dad did play rugby for Wales. I've always lived a loyal life, always use the same brand of tea bags, I always drink in the same pub, hey, hey, and always support my country. A huge defeat for Wales. Questions will be asked of the manager. Questions will be asked. You see, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Paddy Powers Rewards Club. Loyalty is dead. Live for rewards. T's and C's apply. 18plusbegamblerware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Premier League, where dramatically the top two are separated by one point, Natalie. Spurs are currently in third, three points ahead of United in fourth. And then there's only two points between United, Arsenal and Chelsea. Ooh, And the big game this weekend is Arsenal-Man United. Extraordinarily enough... Natalie, you're going to two games this weekend and that's neither of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I'll be at Etihad Stadium and then at Enfield. I'm very curious to see how these two teams are going to perform now that Man City is definitely the leader and Liverpool's one point uh, behind. Because The hunters uh, have become the hunted, as Andy Robertson apparently said. And that's a great quote. He's great. Is he? Yes, he is. He's he's very nice, very friendly guy. But honestly, the uh, Man City reach uh, the top, and they they are not performing at its best. Neither is Liverpool. So I'm very curious to see how this is going to turn out because I think there's a feeling among fans that uh, we're just waiting for the Manchester derby to mm-hmm. to see if City's going to drop points or not. Uh, maybe the Palace match is is a little bit tricky when you look at uh, the fixtures. But how are they going to cope until the Manchester derby? It's, it's only mid-April. Their shirts are getting heavier, aren't they? Yes, yes, yeah. they are. And everybody's expecting them to, to perform better, especially Liverpool. So. OK, so of these two games, you'd think perhaps that maybe... Watford at the Etihad represents a greater chance of of someone dropping points of the top two than Liverpool hosting Burnley. Is that fair? Or do you think Burnley got a, a chance as well at Anfield? I was at Liverpool Watford. Right. I didn't see <laughs> I didn't see Watford uh, really threatening Liverpool, and right, I don't expect yeah. that to to happen against Man City. Another kind of five nil ish thing, you think? I'm I'm honestly uh, expecting not only two victories but two teams finally performing really well, giving good performances. Right. City have put five goals and six past the Hornets in the last couple of seasons. So yeah, the aggregate score in the Premier League against them is 22-3. They've never lost to them. Okay. What about Liverpool-Burnley? Well, uh, Burnley's been defending well, but against Newcastle, again, they, they, they didn't do that so well. So I'm expecting a, a nice victory from Liverpool, but I really want to see uh, the attacking players from Liverpool... Uh, 
delivering, mm-hmm. delivering proper performances because that's the time of the season that you have these great players and they really need to step up. They need to be, uh, Salah needs to be man of the match. He needs to because he is Mo Salah. He was best player of this last season. So, and we are waiting for this. And He's up against Tom Heaton, one of the most phenomenal goalkeeping forces yes, in world absolutely. football. Absolutely. That would be a, a big <laughs> statement. Mm. And Tom Heaton's been, been doing so well this season. So yeah. that would be a very big statement for for Liverpool's attack. Okay. But an attack that's not scored in three of its last four games. Why? Like coming but, against but the Burnley side. Had, right. Okay. Who are pretty dogged, as Natalie was saying, and mm. in the reverse fixture took the lead in this game through a, through a set piece. And it was only Liverpool actually rotated quite a lot for this game. They put, what, Origi up front with Sturridge. Um, Shakiri was playing. And it was only when they were sort of brought on Firmino and, and Salah at the end that they were able to kind of put it to bed. I see. So, Are you suggesting that Burnley have a, a real chance at, at Anfield? No, I just think I, I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be the type of team that Liverpool have struggled against recently, right. and we're going to have to see how much their head is going to be in in Munich as well. In I know, Munich. you know, yeah. Premier League is the priority, but still, it's a big game. Mo Salah has gone three league games without scoring a goal for the first time as a Liverpool player. And I think that speaks to some of the, the issues that Liverpool are having compared to City. I mean, it's been, it's been a title race of very fine margin. I think the difference at the moment is that, I mean, City haven't exactly been flying of late. You know, they needed penalties to win the Carabao Cup, 1-0 against West Ham, 1-0 against Bournemouth, but they're finding a way and Liverpool are not. Um, and I think we saw that against Everton last weekend that the way that Liverpool are set up increasingly is you know that they now have that stability at the back and they're just kind of waiting for the front three to do something and when they don't turn up it doesn't happen um, and yeah I mean Burnley had that great run of form gone off the boil a bit but not ideal opponents for that mm. sort of game Could be a tense game then Sunday afternoon for you at Anfield uh, Natalie The big game uh, a little bit later on that day of course sees Arsenal at the Emirates hosting Man United They've had some score lines these two haven't they? The six ones, your eight twos, and and of course, in the, <laughs> you're in, in naming the United ones. Well, I mean, <laughs> they have they have posed Arsenal real problems of late, and even what in January in the in the cup, cup, yeah, that three one victory, which featured Lukaku played out wide, and everybody, I think that was the first time everyone went, oh, only got a Solskjaer, he's clever. It was funny when you look back to those first few matches with Solskjaer at the helm, and, and United had some quite comfortable wins against teams that you'd expect them to beat. You thought, okay, well, it's all well and good them beating teams like this, but can they do it against the big guns? And actually, now that the away win has become Solskjaer's real calling card, and performances like that one at the Emirates in the FA Cup have, have been what that's been built on. When they've won their last nine away matches, United, <laughs> for the first time in wow. the club's history, they've scored in the last 21 away games equaling a club record, I think, set by the Busby Babes. Um, and, yeah, I mean, against all expectations, United aren't just a team who can who can easily skittle, uh, you know, teams in the bottom half of the table, but they are a very coherent counter-attacking team when they need to be. Why, why would Real Madrid want to get Mourinho back? I mean, the, the evidence is so extraordinary. <laughs> is, he completely bodged up a team which somebody else has come in mm. and just demonstrated the wealth of talent that he was wasting. Why would you as Real Madrid go, yeah, we need the first of those two managers? They like the big names. For managers, players, they like the big names. Mm. So that, that, that's one right. point. I guess you're right. Um, in terms of the run-in, United have City and Chelsea to play both at home. Arsenal after this will be done with teams, well, you know, the big six. So 
this if, if Arsenal avoid defeat here, this, this could leave them very well placed for breaking back into the top four. I mean, it's a big game, James. Yeah, but also, James, um, I think Chelsea will have a keen eye on this fixture as well because they've still got a, a game in hand, which I think is against Brighton um, at the bridge. And we all know that Brighton away from home have not had a happy time of it this season. And uh, likewise, if these two teams play out a draw, um, we'd see what um, Chelsea, if they can beat Wolves, who, as we forget, they lost to in December... Um, kind um, of game Wolves do well in yeah top well. six yeah. yeah Stamford Bridge that one's coming up Sunday ooh predictions for Arsenal Man United loads of goals not many goals somebody winning somebody I suspect winning. there will probably be a few goals alright um, bold from teams a little bit <laughs> yeah. little bit flaky defensive it's hard to call I mean you think United the risk of kind of an emotional crash after PSG is is probably there, but then Arsenal obviously playing but tonight against Bayern in the Europa Tom. League. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean the amount of belief that United have at the moment, it's you wouldn't bet against them yeah. beating anyone. And this mm. could be a really interesting week for Arsenal because they play against Wren in the Europa League tonight, um, which is again seen as one of their avenues into the uh, into the Champions League. Uh, but Wren have I think had. They had five days? They didn't play at the weekend? No, no, they didn't. they've had ten days. Ten days? Yeah, the French so FA gave off. them the, the weekend off. Yeah, <laughs> Mind you, the PSG have had the season off and that didn't do them much hey. good. Hey. No, I, I think it would be because of that. It would be a tough game uh, mm. for, for them tonight in terms of the kind of physicality that they can expect, the energy levels demanded of them. Um, so yeah, if they were to, to lose that game and then go and play this 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 game against United as well, which is all about their sort of Champions League ambitions in the league as well. Right. I mean, it could be quite a... Could be quite a difficult, delicate time for Arsenal. This this one, even yeah. though they're what their recent times at the Emirates, they've been they've been very good at the Emirates. So. Yeah, because we're talking about if Arsenal wins, it's going to be a, a big step for them. But if United wins, uh, this is going to be a huge step for top four because they go for sixty one points, so they are. Uh, four points clear of Arsenal and they have been very consistent. United mm. hasn't been dropping points. I can't see United dropping that many points until the end of the season. I might be wrong, but they are proving to be very solid. So it must be quite demoralising if you're Arsenal Chelsea to see all these injuries, all these suspensions, players having to That's play true. out of position, these kids having to come in and they keep winning. Um, yeah, that is, yeah, that must take quite a mental toll, I think. Mm. So, yeah. Absolutely. All right, so Chelsea, meanwhile... Taking on Wolves, uh, and as you mentioned, Wolves actually beat Chelsea earlier in the season at Molyneux. Did you see that Danny Drinkwater has opened a restaurant? I thought it would be a bar. Well, yeah, (laughs) it's it's a restaurant. I believe this is true. This is from Matt Davis-Adams. The restaurant's called Food Well, which is a a, a pretty bad name. But as as Matt points out, it's missing the obvious one of calling it Eat Food. It would be Drink Water, Eat Food. That's is it too trick. late? Can we get in touch with Danny's know. people? And Anyway, there you go. The and there. Spurs, of course, the other team in that quartet, that cluster of sides, eager to break into, well, basically looking for the two top four spots that are not Man City and Liverpool. And they are at Saints, who looked amazing last weekend away at Man United. How are Spurs going to be after Dortmund? Are they going to be tired? Because, you know, people have been talking about Tottenham's fatigue. Or they, they too, will their belief be sky high? I think it. I think it will have done them a lot of good. Uh, I think particularly off the back of 
the very narrow escape they had in the North London derby with Hugo Lloris saving that penalty from Aubameyang. I mean, they'd lost the two games prior to that. Mm. Um, they were on the brink of losing three consecutive league games under Pochettino for the first time uh, and should have done. Obviously, Aubameyang, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't have expected him not to score the penalty. Um, so they get off the hook there and then a very composed performance against Dortmund. Again, Lloris, uh, you know, a key performer in that first half, keeping Dortmund at bay. Um, and then once Kane got the goal, I thought Spurs looked pretty comfortable. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Spurs look like they've, I suppose they'll hope that they've got over that that um, that difficult patch um, and that they're ready to kick on again. Were there some suggestions that their next home game might see them back? Ooh, yeah, that well, is the talk. That was very interesting last night, wasn't it? Poch was saying, t- 10 a.m., there'll be some news. 10 a.m. this Thursday? Yeah. Um, okay. and, 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 yeah, he was... He expressed a kind of cautious optimism that they'd play the quarterfinals of the Champions League um, there, definitely. And there's some talk between him as an assistant whilst the Champions League anthem was being played on at um, at Signal Iduna Park. Like, wouldn't this be great to hear it at the new stadium? So, so yeah. Right. OK, well, th- that would be dramatic news. Uh, anyway, uh, they're away at Southampton. What do you think, Natalie? Well, I think physicality is not going to be a problem for Spurs because it, it never is, although it's a tough match uh, against Southampton. But uh, I believe that they are going to take advantage of this confident moment uh, after Champions League and uh, pulling up a result uh, at Wembley uh, against Arsenal. I think it's time for, for Spurs to get back on the, the winning track at the Premier League. And I don't see that uh, taking too much time to happen. So. Okay. All right. I, I did like... Deli uh, Alley as well, but back in the picture. Yeah. Mm. And you've got James Ward-Prowse, who's what scored, uh, was it five in his last eight, something like that? Duncan Alexander tweeting on the back of Dusan Tadic's performance uh, for, for Ajax. Imagine what he might be, you know, might be doing in the Champions League you know, if he was playing for Barcelona or something like that. Mm. Yeah, actually, you mentioned Ward-Prowse. I'm, I'm seeing his free kick again against... Uh, Man United and, and the, the, the fabulous way that Saints played I mean it's not an easy game this is it mm, no, no not at all I think in terms of style also it's quite they're quite two quite similar teams so there you go should be an entertaining game and of course a vital one for Southampton as well because they're only two points above the bottom three we'll have a quick check on the relegation situation after this relegation picture Huddersfield 13 from safety Fulham 10 points adrift. It looks like it's down to just one place to join those two. In the Championship, the contenders are, well, Cardiff, who are in third last at the moment. And then you've got four sides who are a little bit above. Saints, Burnley, Brighton and Newcastle. This weekend, as we mentioned, Saints hosting Spurs, Burnley at Liverpool. Brighton have a chance to open a bit of a gap if they could win away at Crystal Palace in what is not in any way a derby, but... (laughs) I mean, unless it's Eagles v Seagulls, there is that. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird derby, isn't it? Yeah, the, the uh, it was a great game for Brighton last time they faced Palace. I'm just looking at my notes. They were three 0 up at half time. Brilliant, finished three one, and Brighton went up to tenth. That seems a long time ago now, doesn't it? Yes, I mean they went off the boil, Brighton, quite spectacularly, um, but then got back to winning ways uh, against Huddersfield last weekend, their first win uh, in the league of, of 2019. Um, and as as good as Palace often are, as formidable as they often are, their home form is is, is really poor. Uh, if you look at the, the home results league table, they're 19th. Uh, and in the away results league table, they're 6th Palace. 
Um, and it's only teams in the top five who are above them. So they are they are more gettable at Selhurst Park than they are when they're on the road. So that'll give Brighton a bit of uh, encouragement, I'd have thought. Um, okay. I thought it was interesting to see Ali Reza Yakanbash mm-hmm. last weekend. Played very well, almost scored with a shot that hit the bar. I mean, I thought he was one of the most intriguing signings last summer. Finished top scorer in the Eredivisie last season playing on the wing went to the World Cup with Iran I was you know kind of expecting that he'd be a player to look out for and we've not really seen him at all so maybe he's about to come to the fore Pascal goes out again uh, for the Seagulls as they make the trip to South East London Cardiff are hosting West Ham how excited are Cardiff fans about taking Swansea on again next season? I mean that will be a consolation if they do go down I think for now they're probably hoping that uh, you know they've still got enough time to save themselves. But I do worry a bit about Cardiff. I mean, they they Sol had as well. Sol Bamber out now for the season. Such an important player for them. They've lost their last three um, and you know, quite heavy defeats. Five one at home to Watford, three 0 at home to Everton, and then and then beaten quite convincingly two 0 at Wolves last time out. You look at the run of fixtures they've got coming up as well. Um, home to West Ham on Saturday, and then Chelsea at home. Man City away, Burnley away, and Liverpool at home. So they could, they could really do with getting a win in this, uh, mm. given the fixtures they've got coming up. Absolutely. Also this weekend, Huddersfield hosts Bournemouth, who've lost their last nine games on the road, conceding at least twice in each one of them. Wow. Surely, surely that <laughs> run. I mean, they're at Huddersfield. Wouldn't that be amazing if Huddersfield suddenly, you yeah. know, under Jan Seifert, a team that's only scored fifteen goals in twenty-nine games. I mean, yeah. I mean, that would be. Right. That'd be humiliating for Bournemouth. Do you remember that time when Bournemouth was six? <laughs> when? When was that? Yeah, beginning of the season. We were very excited about Bournemouth. Mind you, the season before, Huddersfield were up there, weren't they? How high did Huddersfield get? Of course, it's a long time ago now. Um, there's Newcastle-Everton this weekend. Mm-hmm. Both teams have shown good form of late. Everton were good in the derby, weren't they? Were you there, Natalie? Yes, yes, ah. it was at the derby. Amazing atmosphere, it was really nice. Uh, yeah, they were better on second half, actually. First half was mm. a bit slow. Uh, Richarlison might be better, uh, might be fitter for this weekend because last weekend he had a problem with his leg, he right. reported. So, and they looked much better when he came on. Yes, exactly. He he really makes a difference. Although Bernard is, is, is doing well, uh, Richarlison, he, he, the pace that he brings to the to the team really makes the difference but Newcastle it's, it's again we're talking about Rafa Benitez doing a very good job with what he has in hands although he had some signings uh, on the winter window it's it's impressive once again build, build the man a statue <laughs> once and for all because he he's so adored by the fans it's yeah, impressive it's quite amazing when you think of the disparity in money, money spent between these two teams that there's only four points yeah. between them absolutely Newcastle are on a four-game winning streak at St. James's Park. Everton, though, have won four of their last five visits uh, to Newcastle. Interesting. Tom, you're going to Leicester Fulham. I am indeed. Which was going to be all about Ranieri's yes. return. But it's not. Instead, you've got an even more exciting narrative as these two fresh new managers, Brendan Rodgers and Scott Parker, face off. Yes, well, it'll be interesting. Brendan Rodgers' first home game in charge, um, and we got 
some clues as to what he might look to change uh, last weekend at, at Watford, going with a back three and, and wing backs. Um, and perhaps that's an indication that Leicester are going to get back more towards the, the counter-attacking style that has been their, their strength in recent seasons, um, rather than the possession football that Claude Puel tried to introduce, and which uh, they, they clearly weren't very happy with. Um, and yeah, Fulham, I mean, it seems like Scott Parker is sort of trying to do a kind of... Uh, West London version of Solskjaer in, in sort of, you know, trying to kind of just G everyone up. I mean, he brought Ryan Sessegnon back into the team last weekend uh, for the game against Chelsea. Tom Kearney playing at number 10 again, which is where the fans want to see him uh, rather than being stuck out on the wing. And they lost, but um, by all accounts, a much improved performance. I mean, Fulham are, are down, aren't they? I don't think there's any dis- dispute about that, but they're clearly determined to, to go out with a bit of a bang. Um, so yeah, should be an interesting one. Mm. Celtic fans will be observing that uh, Leicester have had seven defeats in 11 and they've got a really tough run in actually as well. Arsenal, City and Chelsea in their last three games. This, <laughs> this is the risk that Brendan Rodgers has taken in in that um, if you, um, he's obviously not had much time to work with these players, doesn't have a pre-season to get his ideas across. Um, if you end this season badly, it does delegitimise you. Does he have respects. a history of ending seasons badly? <laughs> 6-1 against Stoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean... It, it, it could be quite damaging for his credibility with his new group of players if he isn't able to right. basically convince them that you know things are going to be better. We're going to do this, that, and all that, all that sort of thing. So that is a big risk. Mm. Uh, we've got some other things to tell you about, including an extraordinary story from France and a resounding success for the Lionesses after this. Natalie, James, Tom, are you fans of Ricky Gervais? Yeah. Yes. Okay. He's been speaking to our new sister TV podcast, Series Linked, about his Netflix show, Afterlife, and also apparently about his dogs. Oh, he's a great dog lover. That's oh. something I really like about Gervais. All right. Let's, ha- let's have yeah. a little taster. Okay. Obviously, I had a dog for six weeks, and I haven't got a dog in real life. Um, I literally go walking every day, me and Jane. If we're in New York, I go to Central Park. If we're here, I go to Hampstead. I've already been today. And I cover other people's dogs. And I know them all by name. So to be able to cast your leading lady as a German shepherd was <laughs> unbelievable for me. And I admit, I cast it on looks first. And then, then she backed up with a great personality. <laughs> dogs. You can search for Series Linked on podcast apps if you want to hear more about that and uh, TV in general. If you want to find out more about Syria, James, what should you do? Well, there's a podcast called Golazzo, which mm. has uh, everything you need, James, including this week part one of uh, a special on Giovanni Trapattoni. Right. Part one of we don't know how many because Gabriele Marcotti <laughs> is just getting warmed up. Turns out they're neighbours. Yeah. Gab was very enthusiastic about the idea of doing this. And mm. yeah, we subsequently found out that what his grandfather was the mayor of this town where Trapattoni's from just outside of Milan. So. Right. Yeah, it all connects. Excellent. Uh, Now, elsewhere in the wide world of football, while all that Champions League and stuff has been going on, incredible goal in the Championship. Did you see this, Natalie? Mason Bennett uh, in Derby's comeback against Wigan to get their first win in six. Yeah, Derby attacking the right-hand goal on TV and a cross comes into the box from the left and Bennett's at the near post um, sort of well wider the near post, flings himself at it with, I think, his left foot... Um, just watching the oh there it is and sends it over the keeper into the top right hand corner that's incredible goal 
quite balletic in the in its movement. Very even. balletic, and a much needed win mm. for Frank Lampard's derby. It went indeed. Oh, France! Massive game this weekend, Tom, as as Marseille take on Nice, which sees Mario Balotelli facing his old teammates. Yes, Marseille, who looked completely dead and buried and out of the Champions League picture a few weeks ago. And then Mario Balotelli arrives after this very protracted transfer from Nice. Um, Rudy Garcia completely rejigs the team to accommodate him. So Marseille have been playing in a 4-4-2. That Balotelli's got Valère Germain up front to play alongside him. Adil Rami has been dropped. Uh, Dimitri Payet, club captain, has been dropped. Uh, Kevin Strootman, Luis Gustavo, all these big names on the bench. Marseille are flying. Four wins in five. They're back, I think they're five points behind Lyon, who are in the third and final Champions League qualifying place. Balotelli's got four goals in six, uh, and that's having gone through the first half of the season with Nice having not scored once. Um, so I'm sure the Nice fans will give him a nice warm welcome ha. on Sunday. Right. Uh, nice, by the way, who are eighth in Liga, despite having only scored 20 goals all season, wow. which is pretty incredible. And if you right. want to watch that game, just follow Balotelli's Instagram stories. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Um, uh, down the other end, Monaco and our six points from, from yes. the drop, is that right? Yes, they are six points above the relegation place at home to Bordeaux on Saturday evening. All right. Bordeaux, who are having some injury uh, uh, issues with midfielder Yunus Sankare, who's been, he's out of the team for the last couple of weeks, has now been revealed. Apparently, he, he suffered an adverse reaction to beard implants. Yes, which I didn't, didn't even know this was a thing, but you can apparently get beard implants, and he's had some kind of viral reaction to it and has not been playing as a consequence. Um, Bordeaux, who, by the way, are expected to announce Paolo Sousa as their new oh, head coach uh, tomorrow, okay. I think. Mm. Right. Because he was at the Porto Roma game, wasn't there? No, he wasn't in oh, the Oh, did end. he not go in the end? No, because I think he was signing with uh, with Bordeaux. I like Paolo. I think he's a very good, very good manager who uh, was starting out his career in this country. Uh, and I think that's often been held against him. You know, the jobs that he did at kind of Swansea QPR, I think he's developed a lot since mm. then. Okay. Um, Beard implants, though. James, but you mess with Mother Nature, this is what happens. Um, the She Believes Cup has ended in America with an emphatic 3-0 victory for England's Lionesses over Japan. So uh, first half goals from Lucy Staniforth, Karen Carney and Beth Mead again. Uh, I think it was all over inside a half hour and, and uh, Phil Neville, I think, is owed probably an apology. You know? I mean, obviously the players won it, but the amount of... Uh, cynicism with which his appointment was greeted he's so far had a pretty excellent record meanwhile bottom of the group who do we find but Brazil Natalie what's going on there yeah many things are going on there for the past couple of years I think Uh, uh, a manager uh, Emily uh, she was the first uh, female manager to to coach the the women's national team she was sacked and the the players didn't like it it was for more mostly for political reasons Mm. and then they brought back the the manager that was there before her and uh, he's kind of an old-fashioned guy so many of his decisions are being criticized size the way he plays certain ty- uh, certain uh, players um, that's mostly what happened in this uh, in she believes uh, actually he says that he they took a risk by uh, going to a tournament a preparatory tournament against big teams and and uh, they haven't been with the players as much as they would like to but either way there aren't uh, very high expectations for Brazil's uh, participation in the next World Cups. Splendid. Good. Oh, that'd be nice. 
Uh, now, uh, let's get some odds on some of the matches coming up this weekend. Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our Extra Pack show today. We've got one more item for you. It's Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, let's start with the biggest game in the Premier League this weekend, probably. It's Arsenal versus Man United. Give us the numbers for this one. Well, a huge game in the race of the Arsene Wenger Trophy. Fourth place finish, that is. And I thought it might be tighter, actually. But we're really backing Arsenal here. They're the 6-5 to favourites, with United 21-10. to That's despite the Red Devils having a day extra to rest. Although, of course, it's the other North London-based manager who moans about that. And we have a money-back as a free-bet offer if Arsenal do win. That applies to selected markets only, pre-match singles only, max free-bet £10, T and C's apply. Liverpool are at home to Burnley and City take on Watford. Can the Hornets get a draw here? <laughs> Interesting. There's a lot of people talking about Liverpool bottling the title race, but City have seemed pretty tense themselves, haven't they? Although our traders don't seem to be particularly concerned about them. They make Pep's men 1-8 to eight to win this one, with Watford a lengthy 17-1 to one to get the three points. Your draw, Ben, is 15-2. to two. In the race for the top four, Chelsea have Wolves to contend with, but can Nuno's team get their second win of the season over Sarri and Co? Yeah, it's not a completely ridiculous shout, is it? We do favour Chelsea at the bridge. They're 1-2 to two to get the win, but they're far from convinced at the minute, and Wolves at 11-2 to are surely an interesting price. Or, if you want to go a little bit safer, you can back Wolves in the double chance, i.e. not to lose at 7-5. to five. And finally, Lee, we heard from Mikel Jongsma earlier on. Give us the odds, please, on Ajax being the big winners of the Champions League this season. Well, if Tuesday night was anything to go by, this could be great value. Uh, the Dutch champions are 22-1 to 1 outsiders to win the Champions League at the time of recording, which is way, way, way behind the favourites Man City, who are 11-4. to 4. However, a good draw in the next round for Ajax, and that price will absolutely plummet. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, you have got a busy weekend, Natalie, on yes, the trains of the northwest. Yeah, uh, life in the train. That's that's right. that's a sum up. <laughs> nice, which is exciting for you because in Brazil you don't have trains. No, we don't have a railway system, which is outrageous, but it's true. Right. Yeah. So you always get a little bit of a buzz when you step on. Not really. <laughs> Not so much. Okay. Uh, what are you up to this weekend, Tom? Off to Leicester on yes. Saturday. Always a treat, not least because at half-time at Leicester they wheel out this tremendous cake table. What? Um, which is always worth... Well, where do they wheel that from, out then? From the from the King Power Stadium kitchen. I'm oh, what? In the, in the press box? Oh, yeah, yeah sorry. Not, not on the, for the not, ordinary not, not on the pitch. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, that the fans get well looked after at Leicester, but yeah, in the yeah. press room. I mean, they've handed out what, donuts, beer, I yeah. think pizza in the past... Do you remember that, that, was for the that was for the players, yeah. yeah. Okay, but yeah, definitely but the donuts, donuts and beers. beers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And do you remember famously the German side who had a sausage train at their stadium? Did not know about that. I don't know how this works. Is that St. Pauli? Probably. But it, basically the train would run around with sausages on it. Ah, oh, sensational. Well, I may have That's dreamt this, to be no, fair. No, I think this <laughs> sounds like the story Rafa would tell. Okay. Yeah. What are you up to this weekend, James? Uh, I'm not doing all that much, James, to be fair. All right. Listeners, um, have you got any ideas for James? Me time. Wait. <laughs> me time, yeah. <laughs> Some more me time, no. Can I quickly mention my local football club, Colwyn Bay? I think they'll still be listening. Who are, <laughs> who are holding an existential shareholders meeting this morning where a wow. vote will be taken as to whether Colwyn Bay should remain in the English league system where they played since the mid-80s or return to the Welsh system. Really? And what's the argument either way? 
Well, the argument for staying in the English system is that they, they might one day get promoted to the Football League okay. or win the FA Cup. And the argument against is that they're not going to get promoted to the Football League or win the FA Cup and they're running out of money. What do you want, Tom? I think a return to the Welsh system would make sense because currently all their matches in that division are against teams in the northwest of England. So the travel expenses are killing them? Yes. Um, so we get some local you know derbies that, against your bangers, your rills and all that. Tell me about it. So are you voting leave again, Tom? I'm, I don't get a vote as a non-shareholder. But I, I will not be voting leave again. I will not be voting leave again, James, but I, w- I will be voting leave in this instance. Okay. Happy to clarify that. Okay. <laughs> All right, then. Listen, I don't know what you're up to, but just before you get on to it, let me tell you that the sausage train w- was actually real. I'm watching it in action. This, but you know what? It was in a VIP lounge. So the action's... It's at St. Pauli. And the action's taking place on the field. But for the VIP guests, there is a literal locomotive running around a toy track with little cartons of sausages in the wagons. All Could, aboard the sausage train. All aboard the sausage train, Tom. Um, that's fantastic. Anyway... Do hope you have a good weekend. Don't forget, if you'd like to book yourself in for a live show from the Totally Football team, we're going to be in Liverpool and Leeds very shortly. 25th of March for Liverpool and the 15th of April at Leeds. All the info is on social media. And uh, but yeah, have a good one. We'll see you on Monday. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.